Hello listeners, welcome back. My name is Dilpreet. I'm your host and you're listening to Roots with South Asian today. The last 2 years have been tough for most of us in Australia. The impact of COVID and multiple lockdowns has many like me struggling to keep a check on both my mental health and identity crisis. I'm not going to lie, I'm not quite sure if I'm really out of lockdown yet. The anxiety of getting back into whatever it was that we called normal says hello more than I'd like her to. And the disappointment of not being fully supported by the system we have to give so much to has not yet settled down. Why were so many international students, migrants, asylum seekers and refugees left behind during such a difficult time? Why should anyone have to be resilient to ask for basic needs? Is it even okay to call our resilience strong at this point? To get answers to some of my questions, I'm speaking with Samantha Ratnam, leader of the Victorian Greens. This interview is a part of a new series, Coping with COVID, where we aim to highlight mental, physical, social and financial recovery of South Asians in Australia post-lockdowns. Before becoming an MP, Samantha was a social worker for over 15 years in drug and alcohol rehabilitation, international development, family services and settlement services for newly arrived migrants from refugee backgrounds. Samantha joins me early in the morning and Melbourne is still quite chilly, but she's warm and answers my questions with depth and care. Well, let's jump in. This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. Samantha Ratnam, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Samantha, the last couple of years have been quite difficult for many in Australia a lot of south asian students migrants asylum seekers health and frontline workers in victoria have had to cop the brunt of systemic inequalities as the leader of victorian greens what were some of your nascent observations about structure versus the people when the lockdowns first hit well the last couple of years i think have certainly exposed the fault lines that existed within our society we would we knew we were there we knew they were there but you get got this extra spotlight on them and you got them pried open because of the disruption that the pandemic brought it really exposed um sections of our community that had been under-resourced and unsupported for years with really devastating consequences i think for the um for the rest of us to see um what was going on for the community we saw that for example with a lot of our migrant communities communities from culturally diverse backgrounds often being on frontline services. So they were the people that we were relying on to ensure that we had food, we had health care, we had caring support services throughout the pandemic. They couldn't down tools. They had to keep working. Therefore, they were much more vulnerable and exposed to what was happening in the pandemic, to getting sick. Um, But also, if they didn't have proper workplace conditions, um, proper pain conditions, we saw that exacerbated. And with that... 
it was interesting to see how government responded to that. And we had some, you know, knee-jerk reactions from different sections of the community, you know, blaming communities um, because infections were rising in certain communities without thinking about what was actually happening, which was they were in much more vulnerable positions and our society and governments weren't supporting them enough to stay well and safe. In fact, we were so dependent on them. And I think that inconsistency and disparity had existed for many years, but was really exposed by the pandemic. And so we heard from culturally diverse communities about information not getting to them in language, to counter misinformation that was spreading through communities, not enough support for them to be able to continue their work without being at greater risk of infection um, throughout the pandemic. We heard mental health care support wasn't as available as it should be. And I think it's really taught us a lesson about how we need to make sure we resource and support all communities properly all the time, not wait for a major disruptive event like we saw with the pandemic to provide the support and care that people need. Right, right. Um, And now, while the lockdowns may have ended, the impact of COVID on the public continues to show. For example, many international students who would earlier be excited to come to Australia for education are now scared to start a life here. And it does have a lot to do with, as you've already mentioned, the lack of support they got during the last two years. And comments by former Prime Minister Scott Morrison be like, it's time to go home, have not helped either. What would you say to that? What should we have done differently? Yes, it's been so um, valuable to hear directly from students who were in an unbelievable, such a difficult predicament when the pandemic hit us. Some people were able to go back to family. So many weren't. And they weren't eligible for other types of support that other sections of the community were able to access. We've been working with some incredible advocacy organisations who drew attention to the plight of international students, were doing the welfare work, making sure that people got food because they didn't have enough money, they weren't able to work because the economy shut down, uh, able to have social connections. You're often isolated anyway when you come here as an international student. You rely on going to campus, for example, to build your network. There were so many students who weren't able, didn't have any friends here, were isolated alone in their apartments, not without enough money to feed themselves, barely be able to make the rent, not able to work, you know, in such a difficult situation. That's going to take years to recover. And like you mentioned, what that's going to do for the sentiment of international students who might be thinking about where they go to study in the future, it certainly set us back and once again, exposed those fault lines of support that should be there anyway for international students, which isn't there in ordinary times, just made worse by the pandemic. Yeah. Um, My question to that would be, and something that I've always wondered, because I was an international student as well, was that a budget problem or were the priorities weren't uh, online? What was it that really sort of prevented the government from helping students who, and I, I still remember, usually students can only work 20 hours a week, but then suddenly they were allowed to work 40 hours a week because they weren't a burden on the healthcare system of this country. So what gives? Could you actually give me some more insights into what went wrong and why weren't the student community supported? I think it goes back to what happened pre the pandemic and how international students were regarded. Um, You know, it's this very, you know, there's a profiteering model in education at the moment as well, right, which looks at students as commodities as opposed to people seeking an education, um, not recognising the conditions and the context that students arrive to Australia to study. You know, often parents have saved everything they have. They might have mortgage their houses to be able to give their young person a chance at education and a better life. 
my experience is that that's not often taken into account by government decisions. They leave it to essentially a kind of deregulated sector to look after students. But students have been falling through the gaps for years on end before the pandemic hit. The pandemic then exposed that in a really intense way. And I think the lesson for all of us is never to forget that, to listen to people, listen to students um, and our culturally diverse communities about their experiences. Um, and I was talking to a group recently, we took, we went on a tour in parliament and we were talking about, you know, often you come here as a student, there are multiple pathways where you might arrive in Australia. You're a future permanent resident, you're a future citizen, you're then taking part in society in a more formal way. You know, we should be regarding um, people uh, as full citizens in that way from the start, not relegating them to the sidelines, keeping them marginalised, often impoverished, and then expecting them to, you know, to learn how to participate fully in society and feel included and belong in this in this place. So I think if you if you set off on a bad pathway to start, you know, how are people then able to feel like they feel accepted and included in society when they feel really unsupported when they arrive here? So there's a lot more work to be done. Um, it was a pre-existing problem made worse, but now is our chance to fix it. And I, I know you, I remember you mentioned earlier about access to mental health and that, you know, not everyone has an access to mental health. I remember I couldn't really afford therapy when I was a student and many refugees don't have access to Medicare. They fall through the cracks. In this situation, how can a government ensure people are well protected mentally and not just citizens, anyone residing in Melbourne or anyone who's arrived um, to Australia? What is your take on that? How do we sort of fix that loophole? It's a really important point that we keep attention on. Not enough attention has been paid to the whole groups of our community who aren't able to access the mental health care that they need. I used to work in my previous life as a social worker in supporting migrants, asylum seekers and people seeking refuge. And, you know, they were deliberate policy, um, policy aims to exclude people from accessing support somehow in a perverse way to try and make people leave the country. It was, you know, really a punitive system uh, with really dire consequences. When you think about often people who might be asylum seekers and refugees experiencing some of the worst trauma that any of us can imagine, needing that support more than others as well. So there, um, there are big loopholes to fix. We've had a Royal Commission into Mental Health in Victoria, which has been really groundbreaking. That's just completed. And now the task is to make sure all those recommendations are implemented, that you build the workforce, you make those services much more uh, inclusive and open to everyone in society, because that's how you prevent the worst um, mental health experiences from descending onto people. So that's something that we're following up very closely, especially to make sure those loopholes are closed. And this is about eligibility, right? It's about how you, you do your eligibility criteria. We've got to make sure that more people are eligible for these services. Amazing. Thank you, Samantha. And lastly, as a member of the community, what are some of your hopes for people carrying a lot on their shoulders during these difficult times? When and how do you see a better future? We, um, I absolutely see that the task of recovery is going to take a while. Um, as much as the pandemic has been hard for everyone, we're seeing governments not wanting to talk about it anymore, but we're still in a pandemic. We're still in that next phase of recovery. One, recovering from the impact of the last couple of years. Illness is still in our community and we don't know the full consequences of it. So I think acknowledging that it's going to take time and it's okay if people don't bounce back you know, straight away to what they were like before the pandemic. It's going to take time. It's taken a toll. Um, and so my message would be reach out, talk to people, please get in touch with people like me and your representatives to make sure that your concerns of your community are known so we can advocate on your behalf. Um, and so, yeah, reach out to each other and advocate for the support that 
all communities should have access to. Amazing. Well, that's all from me. Thank you so much for joining me, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you enjoyed that. Coping with COVID is an ongoing series and you can head to southasiantoday.com.au to read, watch and listen to important South Asian stories that you wouldn't have found in the mainstream media. We are working with community writers, artists and filmmakers to bring to light stories from the ground. If you like our work, buy us a coffee. The link to our website is in our description too. I'll be back soon. Please take care.